Welcome back to the last episode of The Emily Show for 2021. I know, I can't believe it either. If I sound weird, it is because I am sick. Apologies. I still wanted to do this episode. We're we're just trooping through it. And it's just, if it's a hot mess, it's you know it's because your girl does not feel well at all. But we are moving on through. It is the end of the year. It seems like everybody is a little bit under the weather or sick or has COVID. I mean, let's be real. Um, it just feels like everyone is sick right now. So we are just going to move through. And when I join you next on The Emily Show, it will be season four of The Emily Show in 2022. And I am excited for that. But today we are going to be talking about all of the updates in the Astro World tragedy, as well as Travis Scott's sit-down conversation with Charlemagne the God. So we will be talking about all of that, but there have been some pretty big updates, including a congressional investigation. So we should just get into it because A, I don't know how long my voice will last and B, there's a lot to talk about. And I would love to get to commenting on that interview because it's fascinating. All right. Let me know what your thoughts are of today's episode all around the internet at the Emily D Baker. And we're just going to, we're just going to jump into this. Hey there, welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. Right when we got into the intro, you heard me correctly when I said congressional investigation on December 22nd, the Congress of the United States sent a letter to Live Nation looking into and having a lot of questions about what went down at Astroworld. Then we also have Travis Scott and his legal team responding to quite a lot of the lawsuits. There are hundreds of them that have now been filed. It looks like the courts are trying to consolidate them into one court. It doesn't mean they're all going to be a class action. It just means one judge is going to handle all of the Astroworld cases. And that's what it looks like from all the dockets that they're all getting transferred into one court, which is not uncommon. And this happens when you've got a lot of cases that are similarly situated and have similar parties. They might not all be um, the same case, but it just makes it easier for calendar management. If all the lawyers are already going to be there on one of the cases, you might as well do all of the cases. So those cases are getting uh, consolidated into one court, if you will. And there was quite a lot made of Travis Scott's answer. And we will get into his answer in court in just a minute. But first, let's take a look at this letter that Congress sent to the president and CEO of Live Nation Entertainment. This comes from the House Committee on Oversight. And you will see the members of the committee that signed it. And we're going to talk about a number of the things that they raised. They start out their letter to Live Nation stating, we are writing to request information regarding the tragic events on November 5th, 2021, when a stampede crushed concert goers, killing 10 people and injuring hundreds more during Astroworld Music Festival. Those who died ranged in age from 9 to 27 years old. Concert attendees have provided firsthand accounts of being crushed within the crowd as it surged towards the stage. Live Nation Entertainment was the concert promoter, uh, reportedly responsible for, quote, planning, staffing, 
putting up money, securing permits, finding vendors, communicating with local agencies, end quote, or Astroworld. Recent reports raise serious concerns about whether your company took adequate steps to ensure the safety of 50,000 concert goers who attended Astroworld Festival. For instance, reports indicate that security and medical staff were inexperienced or ill-equipped to deal with mass injuries. Some attendees stated that the placement of barricades made it difficult to escape. And that is the tenor of this letter. They go on to say that according to reports, the main performer, that would be Travis Scott, took the stage around nine o'clock PM and approximately 20 minutes later, medical staff responded to the first reports of injuries. The police activity log shows that by 9.38 p.m., Houston police officers and firefighters responded to reports of a, quote, mass casualty event, end quote. Houston Fire Chief Sam Pena stated that after local law enforcement received the initial reports of people sustaining injuries in the crowd, quote, our people stepped up and immediately went to the producers and told them, quote, hey, People are going down, end quote. However, the concert continued until Live Nation stopped the concert at approximately 10, 10 p.m. What's interesting is this is the first time I have seen that it's reported that Live Nation stopped the concert and that the concert didn't come to its natural conclusion at the end of Travis Scott's performance. And we hear a little bit about that in his interview as well that we will get to towards the end of this show. They go on to say, We are also concerned by reports about Live Nation's conduct following Astroworld Festival. Live Nation's and its subsidiary reportedly have, get this, you guys, have withheld pay until part-time employees who work the festival have signed a revised employment contract correcting the original version signed prior to the festival that was dated 2018. The revision makes it clear that the contract, which includes a broad provision releasing Live Nation from liability, applies to the 2021 festival. The fuckery. So Congress would like to know, excuse me, Live Nation, Congress would like to know why you haven't paid employees. I mean, now are we going to start seeing employment lawsuits as well saying, hey, you had to pay us within X amount of time. You haven't paid us and you're holding our pay until we sign a contract that could be less beneficial to us than the one we signed before that is retroactive to release you from liability for what happened at the festival. Hopefully those employees have not signed that unless they have already consulted and worked with attorneys. I can understand that that would put some people in tremendous pressure um, to to sign something because they need to get paid. But that really is, uh, to me, it feels, and this is my feeling about it, to me, it feels predatory to withhold pay from people who were at this event, who 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 knows what they have been through, and then make them sign a broad provision releasing Live Nation from liability before they get paid. It is just completely uh, inappropriate, and I'm not surprised that Congress is asking about it, but I had not seen those reports, and I am just saddened and sadly not surprised, I guess, that that is the direction Live Nation is choosing to go with that. They go on to say that The tragedy at Astroworld Festival follows a long line of other tragic events and safety violations involving Live Nation. And then they list them. 
They say, for example, Live Nation has been fined or sued numerous times over safety issues at previous events, including other incidents involving surging fans or stampedes. In 2011, a stage collapse in Indiana killed seven and injured 61. And in 2013, a concert staffer in New York suffered brain damage after a forklift crashed into his booth. They go on to say from 2016 to 2019, Live Nation and its subsidiary Live Nation Worldwide were cited 10 times for safety violations and incurred fines. They go on to say that we are deeply saddened by the deaths that occurred at Astroworld Festival and are committed to investigating what went wrong to inform possible reforms that could prevent future tragedies. To that end, we ask Live Nation provide written answers addressing the following topics related to the Astro World Festival by January 7th, 2022. And then they list out eight questions. These are almost like interrogatories. It's very interesting, though, because Live Nation is, is a named defendant in hundreds now of lawsuits relating to this. So how they provide information here is going to have to also be consistent with how they're going to provide discovery in the lawsuits that are pending. But they're asking for, number one, Please provide a narrative detailing the roles and responsibilities for Astro World Festival, including but not limited to venue security, crowd control, mass casualty incident planning, emergency communications, and medical care between Live Nation Entertainment, its subsidiaries, partners, and subcontractors. Dis- number two, item number two. Describe any pre-show security assessments, planning, and briefings conducted by Live Nation Entertainment or its partners, subsidiaries, or subcontractors, including any details regarding any safety concerns raised prior to the performance. Three, which is going to go to the heart of some of the liability. What did you know? What did you know before? And what did you do with that knowledge? Did Were you aware of the risk? How much risk were you aware of? Did you adequately respond to the risk or were you negligent in that? And that is going to the heart of those civil lawsuits, um, which we've gone over in other episodes and they will be linked in the show notes and in cards on the YouTubes. Item number three, please provide details regarding Live Nation Entertainment's actions in response to same-day reports of fans breaking through security barriers. Uh, What did you do when people came in that hadn't been searched? Item number four, what precise time was Live Nation Entertainment first made aware of casualties on the evening of November 5th, and what steps were taken in response to that information? It will be interesting to see how those answers square with what Travis Scott said in his interview. And again, when litigation is pending, this is why interviews that pin down specific details are maybe a bad idea. It'll be very interesting to see what Live Nation said that they knew, what they told him, and then what he says that he knew and what was told to him. Number five, what precise time was Live Nation Entertainment first made aware that law enforcement had declared the event a mass casualty event? And what actions did Live Nation take between that report and the performance's termination at approximately 10, 10 p.m.? Uh, Number six, please share your assessment of the cause of the stampede and whether it could have been prevented. I don't know if they're going to be able to answer that. Number seven, please address reports that Live Nation has withheld pay from Astroworld employees until they have signed a revised employment contract that release Live Nation from liability. And number eight, what steps does Live Nation plan to take to prevent another injury or death at a promoted or held event? In addition, please produce the following documents no later than January 7th. Contracts related to Astroworld, securities, communications, and medical care. 
And then they say the committee also requests briefing on the topics listed above by January 12th, 2022. Please be prepared to address additional concerns regarding Live Nation Entertainment's safety practices, including those related to Astroworld and other events. Assigned uh, the Committee on Oversight and Reform and the members of Congress who are the ranking members of that uh, committee. Notably, Congress member Al Green signs uh, their name in green, which I deeply enjoy. There were a number of judges that I worked with who would sign their particular like search warrants and documents in a certain color ink so that you could tell it was an original uh, wet signature and not like a digital signature or a forged signature or a copied signature. Uh, but I love that Al Green signs in green. I thought it was great. I was tickled by it. So for those of you in audio, uh, if you want to see that, it's over on the YouTube. Before we get any further into this, we are going to take a moment to thank our sponsor. A big thank you to today's sponsor, Quip. Quip is more than just like an oral health company. They also help you create better habits. And look, you absolutely have to brush your teeth. You have to floss. These are things you just have to do. But Quip makes it fun and adds this component of gamification that I really like. You can actually earn daily points and rewards for brushing your teeth. And there's challenges and you get like streaks just like in Pokemon Go. And it's just fantastic because who doesn't like to gamify their habits? We are getting into that time of year where you're going to hear a lot of this new year, new you. But if you want to create habits that stick, I have found that making it fun is critical. And what I really like about the Quip toothbrush and their entire product line is that the refills can come to your house. So you know that you're on track. You know you can just set it and forget it and take care of your oral health. The timed vibrations on the toothbrush are actually every 30 seconds, so you know which quadrant of your mouth to move to. So like up, up, down, down for your brushing in a way that makes sure that you get the best clean you can. So if you're ready to try it, you can use my link and code to get your first refill free. If you go to getquip.com slash Emily show right now, you will get your first refill free. That's right. Getquip.com slash Emily show spelled G E T Q U I P.com slash Emily show quip good habits company. Thank you so much for partnering with me to bring good habits to the law nerds. Cause you know, we can have a dirty mouth and still keep it clean. <laughs> we should probably get back into the rest of today's show and rounding out that topic with regard to the congressional investigation law 360 did reach out to live nation and asked about its plans to cooperate with the committee's request and in a statement provided to law 360 live nation said quote we are assisting local authorities in their investigation and will of course share information with the committee as well safety is core to live events and live nation engages in detailed security planning in coordination with local stakeholders, including law enforcement, fire, and EMT professionals. We are heartbroken by the events at Astroworld, and our deepest sympathies go to the families and friends of the victims. Now, before we get into Travis Scott's thoughts uh, for the families and friends of the victims, we first have to talk about the Travis Scott dismissal of it all. The headlines 
were quite staggering. And we saw headlines across like every major media outlet saying things like, and this just comes from people, um, Travis Scott fights back against multiple Astroworld tragedy lawsuits, generally deny the allegations in some of the first legal responses to the lawsuits that name him as a defendant. Travis Scott gave a general denial to the allegations. And then it goes on to talk about the fact that he asked for the claims to be dismissed. Other headlines regarded his dismissal with uh, a higher sensationalism, but I'm going to pull up one of the responses so we can go through what this general denial truly is. And really a general denial in Texas is just that. It is a page, a one-page response, general denial pursuant rule 92 of Texas rules of civil procedure. Defendants generally deny all allegations. They don't have to deny each allegation specifically. They can just be like, deny, deny, deny. And that's, you know, an answer is required in litigation. If they're not going to do pre-answer litigation, like change of venue and jurisdiction and things like that. They also had a prayer, their prayer for relief, which is defendant respectfully request that the claims against defendants be dismissed with prejudice and that these defendants be granted such other relief, uh, both at law and in equity to which they are entitled. It is truly just a general denial. It's not even a motion to dismiss. This is a like a form denial. So that is the request the defense is always, almost always requesting if they're not countersuing is that uh, don't find me liable and go ahead and dismiss the case. So I think much more was made of it than it really is. This is just literally the next procedural step and it's not a motion to dismiss. It's not a, hey, there's no basis to these claims. It's not a, hey, I'm an improper defendant. It really is just a preservation of the defendant's rights, which is completely appropriate and to be expected. Speaking of to be expected, though, <laughs> to be expected, though, um, general disclaimer from Emily, when you are in litigation, and you are going to give an interview, tread lightly. A lot of you gave me feedback regarding the Alec Baldwin interview and said going through kind of my assessment of the legal side of the, the interview and what I thought, what my takeaways were, was helpful. We are going to do the same thing with this interview. It's up on Charlemagne the God's YouTube channel. I'm going to include a link to that entire video. This is in no way meant to replace that interview. It is not the entirety of the interview. I was looking at this interview through the eyes of how could this or would this impact litigation? What might make the lawyers for the defense cringe? What might make the lawyers for the plaintiffs go, oh, we need to get a transcript of this? I didn't get into, you know, the, the fact that in this interview, uh, Travis Scott's answers aren't very fluid and smooth. I, I'm first of all, I'm not a behavioral expert. Second of all, I can imagine that this has been difficult on him. I have a tremendous empathy for that. People came to see him and died at his show. I imagine that that's difficult for him to deal with. But he says, you know, uh, an almost excessive amount also sitting down for an interview like this to answer everything, you have to weigh everything too. You have to weigh what are the prepped and appropriate responses. Cause I can't imagine he would sit down and do this without prepping with his legal team. You would have to process what you can answer and what you can't answer. You would also have to process how you come across. So a lot goes into an interview like this. What I appreciated about this interview is that there didn't seem to be any noticeable cuts 
particularly no jump cuts. So if this wasn't the entirety of the interview, they did a really good job of making sure that when it had cuts, they were not like, oh, we're, we're, we're scooting away from this topic really quick. I didn't feel that at all. If there were any cuts, cause nothing really jumped out at me the way it did in the Alec Baldwin interview and the way it does in kind of your like YouTuber apology realm of videos. This did not have cuts like that in it. I think that at the beginning, Charlemagne was definitely an- asking the questions that needed to be asked, but I felt like as the, and I, I, hasten to call it an interview. It's more of a conversation, but as the conversation progressed, uh, Charlemagne was asking questions in a more leading fashion. And again, this isn't court. There's nothing improper about that, but it felt for me as the viewer that Charlemagne was trying to help Travis Scott help himself by giving a hint to where the answer should go in the question. And that's what a leading question is. They weren't open ended interview questions, they were more leading. And as we get into the clips that I'm I'm going to go through uh, for my analysis, maybe you will see that. If you don't see it, please let me know in the comments and be like, I don't see that at all, Emily. You're making, you're making leading questions out of direct questions. It seems throughout the entirety of the interview, Travis Scott wants to keep the focus on solution finding, but I don't know if everyone will take away that he acknowledged what happened enough because throughout the interview, he kept saying, well, something happened here. Something happened. Something happened that night. 10 people died. It's a bit more than just something happened in my mind, but I don't know if that is a protection mechanism where he is still kind of uh, distanced away from the tragedy that he was involved in. Of course, this didn't happen at his hand. He was the one on stage. But if he's distancing away from that, I tried not to read too much into it. But it is something that I noted that was interesting, the way he kept looking for how does this not happen again? And I don't know if that was just what he wants people to hear or if that is genuinely where he's focusing his energy and attention to kind of not dwell on what happened, but focus on how does this not happen again? How do we get back to, how do we get to safer concerts and wanting to make a change? And a lot of that did seem genuine to me. So the, you know, I want to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And I'm trying not to put too much criticism in the not leaning into the tragedy because I don't know how someone processes that. Um, and I don't know what he was told. I don't know how much information he got. We'll hear what he says about it. But was there more he could have done? I don't know at this point. The lawsuits definitely indicate they believe there was more he could have and should have done. He indicates in this interview that they're really, he's the artist and there's not much more that he could have or should have done. And I leave it to you to decide how you feel. You've heard my coverage of what the lawsuits allege, and you're going to hear his interview here. Um, We know that there's now a congressional uh, investigation into what Live Nation did or did not do. And Travis Scott does talk in this interview a few times about relying on professionals. And again, I have empathy for that. He can't run concert security. He can't be in charge of the gates. How much control he has over who is hired and how I still have questions about. And through the course of this law, these lawsuits, I say this lawsuit, these lawsuits, there are now hundreds of them. Um, We will see what happens. So let's just switch gears and break down parts of this interview. 
Well, we can't break it all the way down just yet because there is a moment to thank our sponsor. Before we get any further, a huge thank you to today's sponsor, Beta Brand. You know that I've been working with Beta Brand for quite a while now, and it's because I really do love their product. Who doesn't love pants that are okay for the outside, that are also comfortable yoga pants with functional pockets that you can do your everyday life in. And even though we're in that weird time between Christmas and New Year's where pants are kind of optional, eventually it's going to end. It will be 2022 and you will have to go outside. So you might as well not just look fabulous, but feel fabulous. I love Beta Brand's pockets. I love their size inclusivity. And I love that it's not just black pants. They have lots of different designs, lots of different cuts, and the perfect fit for you. And today, if you use my code and the link down below, you will get 30% off your order. But this is for a limited time. So you got to make sure to just head down and hit the link or go to betabrand.com slash Emily for 30% off. That's B-E-T-A-B-R-A-N-D.com slash Emily for 30% off your order for a limited time. And when you use my custom URL, you are supporting the Emily show as well. Find out why women are ditching typical work pants for Beta Brand's dress yoga pants and why I have done it too. Go to betabrand.com slash Emily for 30% off. Don't forget to tag me on social media. If you try their pants and love them, and if you've ordered them and tried them, let me know. I love seeing the feedback from you because I work with brand that I love that I also think you will love. So don't forget to tag me on social and let me know what you think of your new beta brand pants. This interview starts out with Charlemagne asking Travis Scott, um, why are you doing this? What's your intention with doing this? And I thought the answer was very interesting because when you're in civil litigation, choosing to do an interview like this could put you at risk in litigation. So there definitely, from my perspective, needs to be some intention behind it. There needs to be a reason behind it. And I wonder if the concern here was not feeling um, manipulative. So. I would, yeah. So let's just see what he has to say about that. What's your, what's your intention with this conversation? Like, like, what do you hope to, to get out of this? Or what do you hope to get out? I don't personally have an intention. I just feel like something happened and I feel like it's just, um, I needed just a way to kind of like communicate, you know? Mm-hmm. What I think is interesting here is it's very similar to what we heard in the Baldwin interview, uh, but with a different energy. I mean, the Baldwin interview felt aggressive. I don't think anything in the Travis Scott interview feels aggressive at all. Um, Baldwin felt very defensive out of the gate, very much like, I'm going to tell you how it is. I, I feel that Travis Scott almost comes across to me as, I don't know, resigned that this is something he has to do. And he's like, I just need to communicate, but I don't get the sense that he actually wants to be communicating. I don't get the sense that he really wants to be telling his side of the story. And it's just a very different um, a way to say almost a similar thing to the Baldwin interview is I wanted to, you know, I wanted to communicate essentially my side of what happened, but in a very kind of resigned and, and 
perhaps stressed way. You hear him take a giant gulp before he answers this question. Um, And I don't think it was a very difficult question. And as this continues in this clip, we will also see the next question about sitting down and the pending litigation. One, you know, the families are grieving, you know, it's fans that experienced something, it's fans that came to a show, uh, you know, and I feel like I just have like a, I've always been that person to always see things through mm-hmm. with um, the people that shared experiences with me. And, you know, it just, things happen and, you know, I just kind of, you know, it's been such a, such a time and I've just been trying to just really figure things out, you know? Mm-hmm. I know you, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you experienced any remorse, but was there any hesitation to have this conversation because of the litigation you may be facing? I think it's a very good and a very fair question. I also really appreciate that, like, let's just, let's just get the shit out of the horse right now. Like, let's just, we're, let's just get to the heart of it. Like you're being sued. Did that make you nervous in sitting down? And I appreciate that the questions were asked. I also appreciate that in this conversation, Charlemagne really lets Travis Scott answer, even when his answers are kind of winding and a little bit meandering. He gives him the space to answer, which, I mean, is consistent across his interviews, I think. But this is actually a really, even though I feel like some of the questions are leading, I do feel like he didn't shy away from any of the questions which I appreciate. Let us continue. Well, I mean, yeah, of course you got people that are just like, oh, what? Like, you know, but um, it's not about that. Uh, you know, it's, you know, you're an artist, you, whoever people think you are, but at the end of the day, you're a human being, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you, you have emotions. Um, you want to communicate the emotions, you know, and trying to find the best way to communicate, you know, how you just feeling, you know? Through the next part of the interview, Travis Scott is asked about how he's coping and he talks about, I've just been in a room, I've been processing it, but then he gets to, no one is going to be the voice for these people. I've got to be the voice for them talking about uh, the victims and the families of the deceased, which is interesting because I think that their lawyers are definitely going to be the voice for him, but I did for them. But I got the sense he was talking about in the world of concert safety in general and getting the sense that he feels like this is something that he actually does want to continue on. And I hope that we see that if he does promote and help make changes or at least figure out what went so wrong here to decide what can be changed in concert safety. And he talks about it later on about the wristband technology. And I'm not going to play that clip. It's fairly long, but if again, I will link the YouTube channel, but he does talk about wristband technology and how concert wristbands have wristbands that can be activated if somebody's lost that can monitor heart rate and other things. And I'm like, that's really interesting that there are these changes in technology that might be better suited here. And we're going to see this bump between, at least in in my opinion, um, how much it costs to go to a concert. Cause you know, when you look at the face price of tickets and you look at the, like the Ticketmaster or live nation fees associated with the tickets, it can get wild. Um, and what happens as security bumps up, if we incorporate technologies like what Travis Scott talks about with different types of wristbands that have different technological capabilities, then what's next? Um, (laughs) it's like, here's your face value and here's your $150 in venue fees. So 
It'll be interesting to see because music has definitely, and live music has definitely been something I've enjoyed throughout my life, but it is something that is getting financially uh, more and more of a really big decision because concert tickets are not by any means inexpensive. And we won't even get into the illegal reselling of tickets and the wildness that that is and the resale value of tickets. That's a conversation for a much different day. The interview then turns to what Travis Scott was able to hear in the crowd, if he was able to appreciate the fans um, asking for him to stop the show, yelling for help, and the energy of the crowd. And Charlamagne asks about whether the energy of the crowd was different and whether there was an urgency to the crowd that night. For people to have like the best experience and leave. You know? Yeah. You, you want people to have a good time. You don't want people to get yeah, hurt though. at all. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, God forbid, pass away. And, you know, it's typical for you to stop a show, to make sure fans in the crowd get the help, you know, they need. There's even footage of that night of, of you doing that during the set. Were you unable to sense, like, a difference in urgency? And this is what I was talking about with leading questions. The way he asks it almost suggests the answer. Were you unable to perceive the urgency? Um, instead of saying, what did you feel from the crowd? it almost suggests the answer of, yeah, I, I couldn't tell. I had no idea. And I think that's really interesting. So let's listen to how Travis Scott answers this. I mean, yeah, because, you know, you stop the show, but, you know, you, you know, if something's going to happen, if it's something detrimental, somebody's going to let you know, you know, or, you know, the show just stop. And I get the sense from that answer that Travis Scott was like, no, if it's something bad, someone should tell me. And this theme kind of carries out throughout this interview of I wasn't told. In the next clip, Charlemagne asked Travis Scott about criticism of the event. You know, um, a lot of the criticism, you know, from the tragedy, they say, is in the, the poor planning and understaffing of the, of the event. As an artist, do you have any involvement in any of that? Well, I mean, we just, as an artist, you just do the creative. And for this being my festival, you know, I got, you know, bring artists, you know, creatively produce it. And, you know, we just trust in, the, you know, the professionals to kind of just make sure that, you know, people, you know, are taken care of and, you know, leaving safely. You know, I just can control what I can on the stage. And then, you know, you have the professionals control what they can in the crowd, you know. And I, again, am empathetic to that position of we're professionals. Like, I am the creative director of this. I hired the people to do this. And I imagine that that's a lot of what we'll see with regard to the lawsuits of, how, who was hired and whose responsibility is it? But again, the lawsuits are alleging that he understood the risk, that his, uh, the, the things he's posted on social media, the type, the type and nature of the lyrics of his music has encouraged his fans to do this, that he should have appreciated that risk because he's had issues at concerts before. And in other uh, parts of this interview, it is asked like, Hey, your music, um, talks about rage. Your music talks about these things. And he's like, it's a creative outlet. I'm talking about things I see at the show, things that I'm feeling. And I, I think it would be, it would be a very, it will be very interesting. I shouldn't say would be, it will be very interesting to see how, you know, his, his stage persona, his lyrics, his music is held as being incitement really for the crowd or what happened here. And I think we will see that parsed in these civil lawsuits of 
how much on stage is he responsible for versus being responsible for the planning because it is his festival. So I think these questions are getting to the planning, but not truly how much of your responsibility falls on what you say on stage and the way that you have kind of encouraged your community of fans to to rage. And it's asked, but it's never really answered in this interview. As we move forward in this interview, the next part is asking for the first time about responsibility and how much sense of responsibility Travis Scott has. But he, Charlemagne asks again later, who bears responsibility here? How much responsibility do you bear? And it comes up um, numerous times throughout this interview. The reason that we're kind of moving along quickly is a lot of Travis Scott's answers don't carry much weight in the words. There are a lot of, well, you know, well, this and well, that, but without a lot of substance. So I'm trying to move through the parts that have the most substantive answers that might matter down the road. Get to that point. You know, it's crazy just, you know, being and kicking it with you for a little bit. Like I can see that, you know, this is weighing real heavy on you. Yeah. So, so how much do you, do you feel a sense of responsibility for what happened that night? Well, you know, fans come to have a, come to the show and have a good experience, you know? Um, and I'm pausing because the beginning of that answer was, you know, fans come to have a good experience. He does not tackle this question head on at all. And so it's interesting when he works his way around to talking about responsibility that he doesn't really talk about the weight of responsibility. And I have a responsibility to, to figure out what happened here. I have a responsibility to figure out the solution. And, you know, and I got to, and, and hopefully this takes a first step into, you know, us as artists, you know, having that more insight of what's going on. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, you know, the professionals to kind of, you know, surround and figure out more of an intel, whether it's tech, whether it's, you know, more of a response, whether it's whatever the problem is, you know, um, to figure out that and in, in, in the future and moving forward in concert safety, mm -hmm. make sure this never happened again, you know? And I feel it's very fair for him to say, as artists, we need more transparency. And I think that's one of the takeaways here if Travis Scott does also end up speaking with Congress to say, and it's something I don't know, but how much transparency is there between the artists and the promoters and whoever's in charge of the venue? How much does the artist know of the security plan of how security should be run? And what is that crossover? And is it different when the artist is also one of the promoters of the event? I would say that legally, I think that it is different when the artist is more than just showing up for a one-night concert, but is hosting and responsible for ultimately, or, well, we'll see legally responsible, but is is putting on an event and is taking responsibility to headline and to, to host a festival. Um, they are taking on, I think, a greater level of knowledge, but where, how much is communicated will be interesting to see as we get through these. I don't know how far Travis Scott will get legally with the, um, I trusted the professionals. 
when it comes to his companies that were a part of planning this. Now, individual liability, how is he as an artist liable? I think that does carry some sway unless you get this incitement bit that is alleged in a lot of these civil suits because that is his direct behavior as an artist that could be related to the issue versus him just being an artist showing up and giving a show and something tragic happening. Again, if a stage collapsed like the congressional investigation alluded to, that the individual artist was just on the stage. They didn't set up the stage. That's not their responsibility. So where the liability falls between Travis Scott, the artist, and Travis Scott's companies that created and promoted this event will also be something I'm keeping an eye on in this lawsuit. Charlemagne next asks a question that I think we all wanted the answer to, and I will be interested to see what you think of Travis Scott's answer here. Live Nation uh, reportedly agreed to end the concert early after the Houston PD and the fire department declared it a mass casualty event, but the concert continued for another 40 minutes. Was there ever any, ever any communication to you on stage that you should end this? Well, yeah. I mean, they just told me right after, you know, the guests get, get off stage, you know, we're going to end the show. You know, and that's what we did. You know, other than that, there was no other communication. You know? Oh, so after, you mean after the guests? What you mean? Yeah, after the guest comes out, okay. we're, going, we're going to end the show. But it wasn't communication on why. You know, it was just, you know, that's what came through my ears. You know? Oh, so they didn't say stop now. No. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Got and that'll be very interesting because that is something that Congress is also looking into with Live Nation as to what point Live Nation said to stop the show and why the show went on for another 40 minutes after it was declared a mass casualty event. I appreciate that the question was asked. I think there were more questions that actually go to the heart of the matter asked in this interview than we saw in the Baldwin interview. But I, I don't know what will come out with between Live Nation and what they say and what Travis Scott perceived as an artist, but how much responsibility does he bear if he was not told and he was on stage continuing uh, the show if he was not told to stop the show. He's saying he was told stop the show when the guest is done. And the guest that came out was Drake, um, I believe. Now I'm questioning myself. This is what happens when I don't feel well. I believe it was Drake that came out as his guest. Um, but, you know, it's is it after the guest came out? Even his answer, it was like, yeah, I was told when the guest came out ended or when the guest goes off ended. Even within his answer, there were some discrepancies. But it will be interesting to see what the investigation turns up about what Live Nation said to Travis Scott and why they made that decision and how that decision was made, because it can, it can, at least for that part of the show, like, hey, if this had stopped sooner, could there have been less liability? At least it would answer some of those questions, not less liability. Could there have been less casualties? At least it could have answered those questions. He's also asked by Charlemagne about the lights. And didn't you like, didn't you see ambulances? And it's interesting because he said, well, ambulances don't have red and blue lights. I didn't know what the lights were, like the red and blue lights we saw in the emergency vehicles that were coming through. He didn't see those and go, oh, that must be ambulances. So in his mind, those lights could have been somebody in the crowd. I mean, he's looking out at 50,000 people, but he, in this interview, said he didn't perceive those to be ambulance lights. He perceived them as to be something else or somebody else's lights or what have you. He didn't appreciate that they were actually emergency medical services coming through the crowd. In the next clip, he does get asked about 
what would you do differently? And it's interesting because this is also what Congress is asking of Live Nation. And it will be interesting to see these two answers together down the road in litigation. Just, just you as an individual, when you perform again, what precautions will you take moving forward? Just you, just based off what you can personally control, what precautions would you take moving forward? I'll do the same thing I've, you know, been doing just double, you know, making sure everybody is on, on post and, you know, I'll do the, you know, double down on just making sure that everyone is locked in. Everyone is aware. Everyone is on response. Everybody is on, you know, on it. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? And look out, try to, you know, if you felt like it wasn't there more, push for it to be more. Of all the answers in this interview, this is one that I find to be of the least substance when you look at the words that are said. Essentially, what he says is, I don't know what I would do differently because I still don't know. And I just want everybody to be on point. I don't even know what that means in this context. But it's it's interesting because I think the question is, you, what would you do different? And the answer is really, I wouldn't do anything different. And then a lot of filler, because I wonder if he's uncomfortable with that answer. But I get the sense that either Travis Scott still doesn't know what can be done differently, still doesn't know exactly what happened or appreciate what happened, or is nervous to say, hey, I would do this differently because then maybe it will indicate somehow in litigation he should have done that already. And that's a very real consideration when we're talking about litigation is how much of saying, oh, well, in hindsight, I would do this and this and this and this. It's like, well, if you know that now, didn't you know that then? And if you knew that then, are you now negligent and not doing it then? So it's hard for me to parse this answer. Is this a guiding against litigation answer or is this a he truly does not know at all what he would do differently in the future. And in the final clip we are going to go over today, Travis has asked what his responsibility is and does he think he's responsible here? I appreciate that this comes back more than once, but again, it's these strange non-answers for me. So let's go ahead and look at this clip. So I guess my final question, man, who do who who does who does Travis Scott ultimately, I guess, think is responsible for this tragedy? You know, I, it's crazy because something tragic happened here. And what's, what, what I've just been trying to, you know, get to the bottom of is just what happened here, how it happened here. And, I, you know, I think the families are owed you know that I feel like you know the community is owed that. I feel like we're owed that to just know what happened here. Um, and you know I don't want to I don't want to just speak too soon. I just want to figure out you know what happened. You know, mm-hmm. um, but you know we, like I said, you know as artists we just leave this up. You know to, you know to professionals to make sure that we, you know that. Fans are having a good time. Every, you know, people are protected and can, you know, leave and have the best experience ever. You know? And with that, we hear Travis Scott say, you know, you know, 
you know, it's, we leave it up to the professionals. He is asked a few times in this interview, uh, if how he felt about the funeral funds that he offered to the families being denied, he was asked about how he feels for the family. He did send, uh, thoughts and sympathy and, and kind of, I don't want to say well wishes, but, um, understanding and, and kind of statements of empathy towards the families in this interview. I didn't get into any of those portions of the interview. Again, if you want to go watch the whole thing, it is in there, but I don't know if it is particularly legally relevant, but he does, um, talk about it. He's also asked, are people forcing responsibility onto you? Which I thought was a really interesting question. And do you feel personally under attack? He didn't get defensive in any of those questions. And I mean, again, defensive in the way I would see defensive, like the Alec Baldwin interview versus maybe defensive in being evasive with the answers of, I don't know, and you know, and come on, man. So maybe it's just a difference in the way that Travis Scott naturally communicates, but it was very interesting to see him kind of just circle around the issue and keep saying, I want to find out what happened, what went wrong. And I think that's also the questions being asked in these lawsuits. Who knew what and when and what could have been done to prevent this? But he never answers that question in this interview. I think the only thing that I really took away from watching this interview more than once now to bring you this episode is that. At some point, Live Nation did say something about stopping the show into his ear, which now we know at exactly what point that happened. We don't know. And that there was a lot of sidestepping around some some questions about what is your responsibility and what did you know? And was even asked about whether he regretted the initial apology video. And he said, my intention was just to get a message across to the to the fans. So a desire to communicate but also the inability to really say much. And again, in litigation, that's not inappropriate to not be able to say much, but then does it leave an interview feeling or a a conversation feeling hollow and like not much has been said? And again, I'm not a PR person, but I just wonder if you run a greater risk by saying anything at all than just saying, you know, our thoughts and sympathies are with the families. We want everyone that comes to a show to have a good experience. We are dedicated to finding out what went wrong and what the solutions are for the future. And during litigation, we'll not be making any further statements at this time. Would that go further? And we'll see. Will Travis Scott end up testifying to Congress about this? Will we see changes in concert security? Or will we see the finger being pointed back from insurers and from Live Nation and concert promoters at Travis Scott himself, the community that he has created, and the lyrics in his music? I will be interested to see what happens. I would love to know your thoughts about what will come of this and where you think some of the responsibility is as we have a conversation about this on the interwebs. Of course, we will be chatting about it in the Lawnard community on Patreon at lawnardsunite.com, but also on my socials at the Emily D. Baker. I look forward to seeing what your thoughts are on this episode. And with that, here's a cheers to the end of 2021, the end of season three of The Emily Show and the beginning of season four. So raise a glass with me and say it Say it loud and say it proud. Oh, I should have taken my headphones off. I don't need them anymore. The interview bits are done. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper and at-home COVID tests be plentiful. May your families be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Thank you for being a Lawnard. 
Thank you for being with me during this wild year of 2021. And I am looking forward to great things to come for all of us in 2022. I'm feeling 22. I can't stop. Look, I've not been feeling well. I've been on TikTok a lot. It's all the Taylor Swift memes. It just is. It just is. Let's hope for a 2022 that is a little bit brighter than the last two years have been. I think the Lawner community is going a long way to make it feel a little bit brighter, at least for those of us that are in this community. I will talk to you in the next one, friend. Thank you for being here. I'm feeling 22.